It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of Major League Baseball and the Houston Astros. Hello again, everybody. This is Milo Hamilton along with Alan Ashby. Hi again, everyone. I'm Gene Elston along with Dwayne Stats and the Dean of National League Technicians, Bob Green. Nice to have you with us today. These are the classics. There it goes deep into center field. Way, way back goes Matty Alou. And that ball is in Astro orbit. Hit in the air. to relive and to remember for all time. Jose Altuve, a walk-off two-run homer. Astros headed back to the World Series. Your favorites. Game is over. Astros win. Astros beat the Dodgers. It's another Central Division crown for the Houston Astros. And let the fun begin. Our favorites. It go, and this is number two of the game. He lifts this one. Left field, Arriba, Curio, we're tied. Houston Astros history. Well, this will go down as a very, very big game in the Astros history. Here's the 0-2. Struck him out. Game is over. Mitch has saved yet another one. Look at the Astros run out of that dugout. Oh, my goodness. The celebration has begun at Minute Maid Park. This is the Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. And welcome back to another episode of Astropod. I'm Steve Sparks with the Astros Radio Broadcast Group and uh, pleased to be joined once again by the best utility player of all time, Major League history, Jeff Blum. Blummer, thanks for coming on, buddy. Well, I appreciate that. After that introduction, I may just uh, take it to the house, get the recording of it, and have it played every time I come into the house. (laughs) Just play it for your girls. I was the best utility player of all time. I want my walk-up music and that in the background every time I come in. Well, we've got a a really good guest today. I I know you're excited about it. I'm excited about it, but uh, probably one of the most imposing pitchers uh, of our lifetime, for sure, probably Major League history. And that's not hyperbole, but it's going to be Roger Clemens, the Rocket. You excited? I am excited. We've actually had the opportunity to have him on air a couple times throughout, uh, you know, the the years that I've been broadcasting with the Astros, and yeah. uh, you know, he's in, you know completely affable, uh, loves telling good stories, always has great name recall, which I'm thoroughly jealous of. But uh, yeah, he's always a good conversation. I'll be right with you. I'm looking up affable. Have you ever faced uh, <laughs> Clemens? Did you ever face him? Oh yeah, no, I did, and. Uh, it was, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it was later and it was early in the 2000s and then it was a little bit later in his career, but I knew there were moments, you know, where I was hitting in the lineup and, you know, particular situations where I had the mentality and then you hear about the book that's on him. And the one thing that kept popping up in scouting reports was uh, the split finger fastball. Oh. And I just did not want to get to the split. So I was very aggressive on the, on the fastball early on against Roger. Interesting. I always felt like, and you know this way better than I do, I always felt like if with pitchers like him, 
And he was a power pitcher, there's no doubt about it, but he also had impeccable control, especially for a power pitcher. If you fouled off that one pitch, Blummer, you were probably done. You know, th those became very frustrating at bats if you fouled off the one pitch that you might see that you could do something with. Yeah, and that's how you felt against, you know, very successful pitchers was is that you felt going into that at bat, like you just said, you have one pitch that you might have an opportunity on. And I think what was unique about uh, what the Rocket would go out there and do is that you understood that he was a power pitcher in mid to upper 90s with a great split finger. But at the same time, in being able to pitch at that velocity, you knew that if you did miss that pitch or if he did give you one that you were able to get the bat to, it was more or less setting up maybe a, a sequence that he was trying to get you out with. That, that's what made those at-bats that much more fun. So interesting. All right, well, w without further ado, let's bring on the Rocket Man, Roger Clemens. Thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? Doing good, guys. Doing good. Just uh, I think I, I, I'm ready to put my garage up on anybody in town. I've got the cleanest garage, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants the challenge? I think a lot of people will challenge you right now. I yeah, think you're probably right. I, I, might be, I might be popping off too soon. All right, tell us, <laughs> you just got off the ball field for a few hours with some minor leaguers. I know you got a couple of minor leaguers in your house. What are you doing? Are you throwing BP? Yeah, we did, actually. We, we were uh, able to get a – we went out to Katie a couple times and had a couple arms through. So the guys are staying ready. My, my two young ones, uh, Cody's with the Tigers, Casey's with the Blue Jays. So we got this little motto, as we know, they trying to keep them stay ready uh, where you're about, say, two weeks out, 14 days. So when you okay. get a call, you'll be pretty ready. They've done great. In the weight room, they look the you know that part of it. They look really good, and uh, now they've probably seen some live pitching uh, about three times, and then I back in there about 50 feet and do three one counts with them, and uh, wow. so it was good. But we got outdoor on a a, a grass dirt field uh, today, and uh, so the, the other field's turf. It's a little bouncy, especially when it gets warm, but. Uh, yeah, just trying to they're you know they're trying to keep their sanity and and they're listening to everything else that's going on and and uh, you know wondering if if they do have this you know fifty person taxi squad you know and mm -hmm. you know, they're hearing probably the same thing you guys are hearing but well, that's exactly right so I, I, I how how in shape are you for your arm I mean can you still get it up there if, if they got the radar gun out there can you can you touch mid eighties you at ninety miles per hour yeah. upper fifties uh, Age-wise, now where where are you? Yeah, so I think I think probably from 55 feet, I'm still at about. If now, mind you, if there's a lot of ice in the area for after, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need a lot of ice. Thank God for this ice tank I got. I'm going to go sit in it, but uh, I try and from 55 feet, I, I I probably it's equivalent to about 90 miles an hour for him. It's not like you're lobbing it in there or nothing like that. So. And I can go, I don't know, let's see, there were four guys today, and we did four rounds of ten. So, I mean, that's pretty good. And uh, and so I feel pretty good, didn't, didn't blow anything out. And then I got another buddy that pitched, uh, Mike Capel. His son's yep. with the Cardinals. So Gamer, who we call him Gamer's nickname, he, he gets out there and he'll scoot the screen up to about – 35, you know, where most of the coaches throw, 35, 40 feet. <laughs> and then I got to, I got to hose him off after about 20 minutes. <laughs> That's truly remarkable to me, Rocket, because, you know, 
you're not a spring chicken anymore. You're only five feet closer than you were when you were pitching when you were playing in the big leagues. Yeah. Now, my question is, is that genetics or is that something you can teach or a combination of both? Because you, you have the prototypical build for a, for a power pitcher. Yeah, Blummer. I mean, you're dead on. So I, I still, I, I don't know from a necessity standpoint, but, you know, ever way back when, since I had my little shoulder impingement with Dr. Andrews, who uh, mm-hmm. about a week or two before, uh, the pandemic and everything broke out. I gave, I went over to Birmingham, Alabama, and gave Dr. Andrews a lifetime achievement award. And he brought up during his speech, we, we did the, uh, super seven for your elbow and we implemented the pitchers 10, which he, what she calls it. There's 10 exercises for your rotator cuff. But when he first looked at my shoulder way back when, and then I would go get a checkup with him about every five years, whether I needed it or not. And, uh, it was just being real uh, religious with my arm exercises, anywhere from three to five pounds. You don't need any more yeah. than that. I tell the young kids, you know, I'll walk in and they're doing seven pounds or something. You don't, you don't need it. If you do it right, they work. And so over time, I do them before I go play at the AT&T or the Bob Hope or any of the golf tournaments. I usually oh, wow. spend about 40 minutes in a, in, a, uh, in a weight room where I'm just doing small muscles before I golf in case I stick a three iron in the ground. I don't fray my shoulder or something. So I think that's why the mm-hmm. atrophy really hasn't set in yet. I mean, I, I, I can feel a difference. Um, uh, you know, I, there was, you know, we had a, 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 a you know, I can feel a little difference uh, every once in a while, but, um, you know, so, some of it when it just feels real sticky, I, you know, you can get through it once you, you know, play a little long toss or do all that. My pain tolerance, I think is pretty high too, but, uh, I, you know, I attribute to, uh, there's no doubt that my, uh, my, my cuff work for sure. So I, I try and tell the kids that come over here getting lessons from my oldest son. We run them through here seven years old to the Astro guys have come over here and thrown off my indoor outdoor mound. And I preach the same thing. You got to do your cuff work. You got to do your forearm work, whatever it is, make sure your bow's loose. And, you know, and again, I'll go back to Dr. Andrews. At one time he said he is amazed how many, Tommy Johns, he's doing on 12-year-olds to 16-year-old mm-hmm. kids. And I think because they're all just looking for velocity so early in their age and uh, whatever they're doing. And um, so, but again, it, there's real, you know, preventative stuff that you can do to try and help, uh, you know, help that so you don't have to, you know, get it on an airplane and go see, you know, a, a doctor that does Tommy Johns, something like that. So, but uh, yeah, so I've been pretty lucky, man. I've been Shoulder, I still got some good range of motion. I don't know when that's going to end. If it happens overnight or, of course, of a couple of years, but uh, so far I'm going to I'm going to roll with it. Hopefully, it lasts until everybody in your family has run through the major leagues and, and had their own careers before you have to shut it down. But yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, but fortunately, the oldest one, we have twin. I'm Poppy Rocket now. We have twin grand boys. Oh man, I've got them hitting off not only the batting tee but the golf tee. So. And, and and I've trained them perfect. When they come through the house, I make them they, before we can do any activities. They got to both scream to the top of their lungs. Poppy's the man. <laughs> <laughs> that is outstanding. I absolutely love it. the first thing I hear at 7:30 a.m. Yeah, well, you're not going to get the attention if you don't come in screaming. Poppy's the man, dude. That's right. That's right. Yeah, train them. When you always talk about the physical part of the game, the mental, and the emotional. And I know your 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 boys aren't pitchers, but you, you go through that. That, that whole thing with them and, and try to make sure that they're on top of things mentally? I, I do. I do, Sparcy. I mean, uh, 
you know, and again, when, when the guys set, even the, even the pro guys, when they set the ball down, I tell them just as much as like my, you know, watching my mechanics or checking their grip out on the ball or their change or whatever, it's just important the five minute talk that you have, the, the, the head talk or the chalk talk, whatever you want to call it. Uh, physically, everybody's in fantastic shape. You're there. And then both you guys know the mental part of the game. If you if you can be unflappable on your mental part of the game, you, you you're gonna have a you're gonna have a nice little career. You pay attention to detail. I mean, I called 90% of my game from the mound. So my catchers, when they're getting a, you know a foul ball and they're getting another ball from the umpire and the hitters maybe adjusting his batting gloves or whatever, I'm going with I'm going with my next pitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I need my guys in tune, paying attention to detail, and. Um, you know, it's just like I said, it's, you know, you know, being a student of the game, I was that long, you know, coming out of Texas, I kept most of my notes on, in a, in, you know, in an 8 by 10 notebook. And that includes the umpires. Back then, you know, you guys know we had American League and National League umpires. So our American League guys were a little different than the National League. And then they combined them. And so, and then my, my notes went from the notebook to a uh, index card, and then it went to a BlackBerry. Those things came out, so I started keeping it, my digits in there. And then it went to my iPhone to the point where I had to tell, even in New York, when I was with the Yankees, tell our pitching coach, Mel Stoudemire, while we're going through the lineup with our scouts and we're in the playoffs, I'm not on my phone texting somebody. He knows I'm logging numbers. And I'm logging names where our guys might have, you know, when they tell me that Pujols is super hot right now. So, or, you know, we're going to pitch this guy in, and if we miss, we miss inside his jersey. Don't make any mistake out over the plate. And (laughs) so, you know, we're making notes like that left and right. And and then I go with my notes, too, that I've uh, accumulated because, you know, I'm pitching on a staff in New York with El Duque, David Cohn, and David Wells, who throw – eight out of ten first pitch breaking balls to the guys throughout the lineup right out of the gate. And the scouts are, you know, they come in and say, this guy's a first first hitter. He's a first ball, fastball hitter. Second hitter, first ball, fastball hitter. Third hitter, first ball. Well, what do I do? I'm not going to go up there and throw my split finger. So I throw throw a good quality Mm -hmm. two-seam little bowling ball middle away, see if I can get me a strike, and then we'll we'll start breaking him down from there. So, uh, all that stuff's important, but you're right. You, you, the, the physical part, you're ready. Mentally, you're ready. Emotions do come into play. I tell people I kind of showed my behind a couple times in 24 years, but I care. You know, I'm not out there just going through the motions. I care about, uh, you know, what's going on. I care about that city I'm representing, and and more so, I got 24 dudes in that dugout that are counting on me to put on a show and and uh, and get after it. How in depth uh, would you get on, on your notes with the umpires? Because umpires had their yeah, the they all had their tendencies. Would you want to know the personal stuff like their wives, their kids, and all absolutely, that? absolutely, Parsi, you know that <laughs> absolutely. I know where their yeah, hometown is. Yeah, I know where their hometown is. I know where they're from, especially if they're umpiring behind the plate, close, you know, within an hour. Of that stadium, they they want to show out. They got they got people there watching them, and yep. uh, and uh, you, you know it, it was it, you know it was, you know I, it was great that the the guys that you have a relationship with that you could kind of get after them a little bit, and they'd give it right back to you. You know, like Durwood Merrill. Durwood was the best. And I said, Durwood, <laughs> you're back there flinching. Those are good pitches. <laughs> oh, Roger, you know you know Roger. Oh, now you know you. I'm gonna give you that borderline pit. I said, well, you don't have to give me nothing. Just call it a strike. And we'd go back and forth with one another. And then we'd get the young guys and all the catchers. You can ask Osmus and Posada and all the guys. 
and you know I'm fired up out there and I'm locked in and and I'm not getting a couple pitches and I call Awesomest out and I say stand right here and here comes Baggy and here come Biz and Morgan and and Adam I go stay right here boys and and Awesomest right out of the gate stay right here boys Rocket's gonna drop the media guide on them. <laughs> so, so here comes here comes that young umpire and he kind of said, "Come on now." I said, "We're going to be here for three and a half, four hours if you if that ain't a strike." And he looked at me and said, "Rocket, you can't argue balls and strike." I said, "I'm not arguing with me. I got somebody at home I can argue with. What I'm telling you is that's a good pitch." <laughs> and uh, and I said, "And by the way, when you get done with the game today and you go back in the umpire's room, there's a bunch of booklets in there. Grab ours. There's a reason why I got 32 pages in there. Take a look at it." <laughs> <laughs> and and awesomeness would go. I told you, boys. He dropped the media guy on him. Let's go. <laughs> If you've got it, you need to use it, and that, that is a very good way of using it. Uh, I like what you said uh, earlier about when you miss on the inside, you're going to miss inside his jersey, and I think this day and age, and tell me if I'm wrong, I don't feel like these guys pitch in often enough. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. Uh, the guys that you watch that are, are, are that are really good and under control, and and, and I mean, again, when – and you guys will know when when you ask for a guy to double up inside with a heater, or you want to bust a guy in when you're ahead, it, it's an art to do it because I mean, and I and mm-hmm. I had I learned it firsthand at Fenway Park against right-handers. I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying mm-hmm. to pitch Don Baylor who's standing on the plate with no with no <laughs> equipment on. I mean, he Groove is standing yeah. on top of the plate. Greg Luzinski, Dave Kingman. I mean, these are the guys mm-hmm. I come up. I'm like Luzinski, yeah. Fisk. And I got to, if I don't get it in uh, at Fenway Park, it's in or over that net at uh, that Green Monster. So I, I had to learn to get control my, you know, because when you're coming inside, you kind of get a little firm when you're winding up and your muscles take over. I mean, you're kind of like, you know, trying to drive that golf ball on a, on a, on a bed. <laughs> you're going to hit a slice. You might as well just play it. But the, uh, yeah, you kind of. It's it's an art to do it, and you don't see guys. That's what I tell I tell the boys. Hey, if a guy punches you out inside or throws you a fastball in, first of all, nobody likes the ball inside. Second of all, mm-hmm. there's no way a lot of these guys they're power throwers. They're not power pitchers, and there's no way they can double up inside for a strike. It's impossible. They're going to leave one over for you. Just be ready for it. Especially a guy that's got a plus plus fastball and he's a power thrower. You need to understand the difference between two types of pitchers, and you'd be amazed. In spring training, I get that dry eraser board, and I put up about 20 very well-known names, some past-named guys, but very well. And, I, and then I got the two categories. I got power pitcher, power thrower, and I say, put them in their category. And they can't – they have a hard time even – said, no, nah, that dude ain't a power pitcher. He's mm-hmm. career 500 pitcher. He throws extremely hard. Yes, he punches out 14 guys a game, and he gets beat 7-5. to five. I said, that's a thrower. And I said, that's where most of your bullpen guys that throw extremely hard, they're power throwers. That's why you want to try and get their pitch count up to 25, 30. They can't, they can't, because of their mechanics, they can't come back to back nights. And if they do, when you're in a playoff situation, they're going to be flat and you're going to, you're going to have them backing up bases. And we're starting to see, I think, this day and age, a lot more of the power throwers because you mentioned some of the youth sports. They're more concerned about the radar gun than they are actually getting guys out. How do you teach a power pitcher to become that guy who can actually pitch with the power? Yeah, so that's what happened with me. I didn't throw hard in high school. I was I was a young senior anyway. I was 17 years old, but I had a great curveball. When we had a couple dudes in high school back then that threw 90, 91, 92, which was – 
wow, you know, back then. Yeah. But you just didn't see it. I mean, there's most everybody's high school frontline guy now is 90, 91. But back then it was a, a big deal. But these two guys would wet the bed and coach would bring me in. I was 85, 86, and I had a, a curveball that coach always said I could throw uh, if you turn the lights out in the stadium. I would throw it for strikes. <laughs> then I end up growing my freshman year. I turned 17 years old and I grow two inches. Then I get to University of Texas, and we didn't have a, a baseball weightlifting program, so we're squatting with football guys. Oh, wow. and so I got stronger, and just from my core work and playing long toss, my velocity went up to about 96, and that's when the Red Sox came calling. But I tell people, I, I still, when I didn't have my plus-plus fastball, I still had to pitch. And um, it's just, again, you, I tell the kids, you practice perfect. And especially in these days and age where you guys know, again, how we can pick off if somebody is under pressure out there, whether it be a Wednesday afternoon businessman special or you're in game seven of the series, whatever you've been doing wrong, it's going to, you know, reap you know, bad old head again on you. So you're going to – I mean, we had a guy in New York, we're in the playoffs, and he, I want to tell you, the reliever for the A's, and we're losing two to one, and two pitches later we won again because we told him, I said, he comes set at his nose – on fastball and to get his curveball for some reason it takes him longer and he covers the logo on his hat and it's the guys that don't like to know what's coming they even they loved it because it was so noticeable and you can go all the way back to 86 when we faced a white good and they didn't have those gloves with the finger hole you know now they got the leather where you can stick your pointer finger in that leather without it moving because doc Mm -hmm. gooden was the first one of the first ones Doc would wind up fastball, and his his pointer finger would lay on his on his glove right on the leather. And for some reason, when he got his curveball and started his wind up, his pointer finger would shoot straight off to the sky. Oh wow! And so we knew his curveball was coming. So, and I was paranoid because I had two of the guys as 21, 22 years, whatever it was in Boston, Marty Barrett, my our second baseman, and Dwight Evans, the veteran great player, uh, Dewey in right field. They, that's all they did when they weren't hitting. They stood over by the bat rack, and they go, I got him. I got him. You see what he's doing? I got him. I'm like, oh, God. I'm, so I would go do my bullpen, and my, my bullpens, I, I practice perfect every time. Prayer position, break my hands, do it all the time, even when I'm tired. And that's what I encourage these, these kids to do because I tell them, hey, I can come to the Little League game with your coach calling the pitches, and we got you. And then I go to a high school game, and we got the guy by the, you know, the, you know, by the first inning. We can say, "Well, he's coming." And yeah. so it's just, it's just important that these guys understand that, and 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 we, you know, we try and teach that to the kids. But it, it's it's so important if they listen and they're and they're good students. Hey, I don't think people get to hear this uh, enough or ever really. That people who might be listening to this, but I remember Adam Everett, Roger, telling me one time that your signs when there was a runner on second base were by far the most complicated that he had ever seen. And as a shortstop, he was even worried about not being able to pick him up. How, give us an example of how, how yours changed throughout an A-B. Yeah, so it, it would change with, with – normally it would change with outs, depending if – and, again, I just had to be super uh, aware and careful, especially if one of my catchers had been traded and they were sitting on the bench on the other side of the field. Mm-hmm. All bets are off. Sometimes if we thought something was up, which it's, it's an easy telltale sign that you, 
I, I call, I can't tell you how many times I called Rich Gedman or, or Billy Hasselman or Tony Pena or Osmus or Charlie O'Brien was great at Charlie. I mean, Charlie was man on second. We knew something was up, but we, we just wanted to confirm it. And so two, two count dudes up crucial part of the game. And he would come out and I go, all right, listen, I'm going to go split here. No matter what, no matter what, I'm going to back it up with another split. I don't care if it's a foul ball, a ball, we go 3-2, but I'm going to go back-to-back splits, no signs. He goes, perfect. Mm. Runs back there, sits down, guy on second leads off, he's hunting the signs, and Charlie just gives me the wave sign, like, come on. Yep. And the next thing you know, the hitter, oh, time, hitter timeout. So now we know because <laughs> the guy back, okay. So he didn't get a relay. Yeah, no relay. So yep. I mean, it's simple math if you let it be, but my signs were it covered each side of the plate, and it covered the pitch, and what people thought one was was not your fastball, and three was yeah. not your slider. So I had a nice – it, it really wasn't difficult. And basically there's other times when I came up and looked right down Broadway at my catcher. I never looked slightly with my eyes left or right that, um, that he knows I'm looking down Broadway. So that means I do want to uh, very hmm. – I would throw eight curveballs at a 120-pitch game, but that meant curveball or split. So if he went back there and put down curveball, what my sign was for curveball, and I just stared at him, then he'd just say, come on, because he knew it was split then. Mm. And in and, and time, the catchers got used to it. They're like, this is crazy. That, that, I mean, this is, this is so easy for us, because you're dictating what side of the plate or right down the middle. We know when you stare right down broad, that's what you want. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard it, but when early in my career, we, we found out that at least we – we thought we did, and he, because he did it a lot of times. Every time Nolan would step kind of in front of the mound to his catcher and show his teeth, almost smile at him, that's when he was throwing his change up. We had to keep wow. that quiet till somebody else got traded over there, and then they, you know, they wow. go over there and tell him. So, but there's, like I said, this is gamesmanship. There's a game within a game. It's no different than me rolling into mm-hmm. Wrigley Field pitching against Maddox, and the, and the grass <laughs> is ankle high, and the kitty litter in front, well, <laughs> you know, is, is soaking wet. So and, uh, there's there's not a ball getting through the infield if you hit it on the ground. Forget it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Velcro and kitty litter. Hey, you've mentioned your slip fingered fastball a couple of times, and you really didn't start throwing it to probably the the last third of your career, but a million punch outs on the slip finger. But you learned it from Mike Scott, didn't you? I did. I had a golf tournament here for uh, early in my career. Yeah, about four years. Scotty and I uh, shared a golf tournament for our charities. I think Roger Craig came rolling in town one time and we were all talking about it. And, uh, wow. so I learned it and, uh, I didn't feature it a lot. Like you said, till, I don't know, I started throwing a lot in the nineties and then broke it out the latter third of my career even more. But mm-hmm. even if I used it 20 to 25 times in a 120 pitch game, the thing was TV was, you know, the sports center and everything started showing all the punch out yeah, highlights. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd get about six or seven, eight punches with it. So it was ingrained in everybody's mind. And then, you know, like I tell guys, paying attention to detail, when I roll in and face a young Pittsburgh team or a, a very aggressive young Minnesota Twins team, and I knew both their hitting coaches, and I knew their hitting coaches were telling them, get off early so they didn't get to the split. And as soon as I saw how aggressive they were, there would be times where, again, I would throw a quality fastball, and then I would go back-to-back, back, sometimes back, split. So by the second or third at bat, if I'm still out there, for sure the second at bat, 
they, the game went back to like what I would call a they normal got game. Got them off your fastball. They were, they were, they were, yeah, they were kind of kicking back, waiting for strike one, and it became a rig. But you could tell by these teams that they're being over aggressive, and I knew what the hitting coach was telling them. So I'm just here. We go. Let's 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 see if we can slow them down pretty quick. So those are those are things really you got to again paying attention to detail. And some guys do it, some don't, and uh, you know it makes a big difference in a professional career as far as if you want some staying power. You had a couple of 20 strikeout games. I want to know what it felt like to be on the mound when you, you know, at what point do you realize you've got the potential just to mow through these guys and knock as many as as you can down? And then what did it feel like as soon as you got to that 20 uh, strikeout threshold? And who was that good-looking girl in the pink jacket? Yeah, she pink. kept throwing her hands up, didn't she? She was scorekeeping like <laughs> a mother. That's my second pitching coach. Every time I walk, I, I punch right. out ten. I, I throw a two-hit shutout and punch out ten. She meets me in the parking lot and says, man, you walk three guys. you got to stop doing that. I say, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Man. Nice to see you. The 20 strikeout game, Blummer, was awesome. I mean, I had no, obviously no clue. I didn't know until they flashed 16 or whatever it was on the board that it was a red side. Dang. I didn't even know there was a strikeout record. And uh, and and really, long story longer. You got to go to the game. I almost missed that game. I was stuck in traffic. Oh, wow. I, I, we we actually do an anniversary thing almost every year back to Boston to all the radio TV people, and we and we bring it up that I was about a mile and a half from the stadium. I could see the Sitco sign. I was on Storo Drive. I always come in. Game started at seven thirty-five back then, and I usually like getting to the ballpark about five thirty. So I know I'm going to fight a little traffic, and uh, that night I didn't. I've totally blanked out. Celtics had a huge playoff game, and yeah. there was a concert on this Storo mm-hmm. Drive on uh, on the oh, way geez. in. It's kind of on the river, and uh, there's a big concert hall there too. And there was a concert to go along with it. So I'm sitting a mile and a half looking at Sitco sign. Deb's in there. I got jeans and boot and a t-shirt on. She's sitting there, and we're not moving. I mean, I'm I'm starting to panic. And now it's about 6.30, and I'm like, we're an hour out. I said, I'm going to have to run to the post. You're going to have to slide over and drive. I'm pop the trunk. I'm going to get my tennis shoes on. I got some tennis shoes in the trunk. I'm going to run to the ballpark. Holy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I, and the trunk the trunk is up in traffic, so it looks like I'm broke down. And all of a sudden, I hear, wee, 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 wee. I turn around. It's a motorcycle police officer. No. He goes, nice. you, bust, you broke down? He goes, holy, you know what? And he goes, rocket. And I was like, yeah, man. I go, uh. I go, um, uh, he goes, you're on, I go, yeah. And I know we like, didn't even say two words. He he was realizing I'm on the mountain. And so he said, follow me. He parts the sea for me. I jump back in the car and parts the sea. I go rolling in. I go through the club out. That door. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. It was like, it was like, I, it made me think of when I, when it Rory McIlroy got a police escort for the Ryder cup, almost missed his tee time. Yeah. At my oh, yeah. or somewhere in Chicago. It was like, hey, he didn't hit a ball. He ended up winning his match. That tells you what warming up does for you. I went through the clubhouse door at about 7.10, about 20 minutes oh before the gosh. anthem. And, and you talking about feeling like a heel and a young player coming in. The, every Jim Rice and Dewey and get, all of them eyes went right on me. My pitching coach, Bill Fisher, stands up and says, come into the manager's office. I walk into McNamara's <laughs> office, and he goes, "We're gonna, we're, we got a, we got a long man in the bullpen. We're gonna start. We're gonna scratch you." I go, "No, no, you're not. I'm not listening to that because I'll get crucified. I'm not. I can do this. So just give me a minute. I didn't take a no for an answer. Run back out, get my locker. Don't even stretch. You know, dress in a phone booth. 
it's the first time I think my pitching coach, I don't know how old Boat Fish was, but I know he's never run from the dugout at Fenway to the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> and he was gassed the time he got there. I start warming up. I got a worst. I, I remember my shoe being untied, and I've been over to tie it and about passed out. I had the worst temple headache, didn't throw a strike warming up. I know Fish was on the bullpen phone caught saying, hey, get somebody in, getting out of the first inning. Oh, man. I go rolling out there. The only peace and quiet I got for two minutes was when they did the anthem, and I ended up, you know, then the rest is history. I freaking punch out 20. <laughs> Didn't even know there was a record. And Bill Fisher, our pitching coach, who to this day, Bill, we went to his funeral a couple of years ago in Council Blood, and Fish was the longest. He still holds the record, I believe, for 91 innings, 91 straight innings without walking a major league hitter. I think wow. Maddox approached it, got into like I think Mad Dog got to about eighty six. He tried to he tried to get it, but everybody's gone. I'm packed in ice and I'm just like I, I don't I don't even know what happened. I mean this is people are calling <laughs> and, and the clubhouse and I'm signing stuff for the umpires and both sides of the teams. I'm like, I, I don't even, I don't even know what happened. Deb's out in the parking lot and Fish comes over and he called me Smokey. That was the night that actually Bruce Hurst gave me the nickname the Rocket. And then Fish oh, came wow. over and said, Smokey, he goes, two things. He goes, uh, I know I'm, it's pretty awesome. He punched out 20, major league record and all that. But I'm most proud that you didn't walk a single hitter in that game throwing that rate of speed. Damn. And I said, Fish, I didn't even know that. And he said, one thing. He said, second thing, Smokey. He goes, you get to the damn ballpark anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, Fish, I said, that will never happen again. I, You know, I'm just sorry. I just trapped uh, and I just, I don't know what happened. So, but. That was it. Did it ten years later with a different manager, and and that one was cruising along too, Blummer, and they had no clue. And that was mm-hmm. with Billy Hassman. The first one was with Getty, and uh, yeah. you know Getty made some comments for me. All the backstories from my teammates and especially my catchers, talking about how the ball was moving, and even even uh, I think the second game, Vic Valtaggio was the umpire, and he made a comment that he had to ice his arm down after the game. <laughs> calling all the strikes, so it was that, you know, just hear the stories from everybody every year. They bring back great memories. Story about the first time you pulled up uh, to Fenway Park in a cab. What you oh yeah, the taxi driver. Yeah, so I get called up from AAA. Didn't do much down there. I just got my place. I was almost not. One, you know, I was like, what? I just, I just got settled into AAA. Met my new teammates, and they're pumping me to the big leagues. I'm going to Fenway, and I jump in a cab in Fenway Park. And you've and, never been uh, there before. Never been there, and and. Uh, Dude said, yeah, whatever, and I've got my head down to paper or something in sporting news or who knows what I'm doing, but I'm not paying attention. 20 minutes later, he stops. We're on a back alley over there at Fenway, but it's nothing but red brick. He pulls up. He goes, yeah, here you go, kid. That'll be $20. And I'm like, I look out the window, and it's a red brick built. It looks like a warehouse. And I'm like, no, no. I said, Cavi, I'm a professional ball player. I'm going to Fenway Park. It's a baseball field. <laughs> he goes, this is it. Get your you-know-what out. <laughs> and I handed him 20 and I got out and I'm looking and I'm like, man, this is where turn the corner. Some, and one of the security guy grabs me, says, come on in here. And the first glimpse I get of Fenway, he walks me down that ramp and up on the first base side. And I walk up the ramp and I'm looking directly at the pitcher's mound with the green monster behind it. And it was all lights and green and green monsters. Like, oh my gosh, how'd they, how'd they stick this thing right in here? <laughs> and uh, but that's yeah I, I was uh, this is a brick building homie it's a warehouse I, I'm a I'm a pro ball player I need a I need a stadium I, I, right I love it the old stories and the names are amazing is there a particular hitter you 
didn't like to face? No, I mean, the, the I tell guys that most difficult for me were the, the contact guys, especially in the National mm-hmm. League. You know, the first two guys are pretty good contact guys, and really all you guys can – you know, I tell them guys in the big leagues put wood on a bullet. I mean, so I throw a spoiler pitch, especially at Fenway. I mean, the only break you get on foul balls would be out there in Oakland. Most of the other time yeah. you make a really tough pitch, and you guys foul that thing off, and it's in the third, fourth row of the stands. And uh, – so I can't I can't afford, especially in the National League, to get in a, a 10, 11, 12 pitch at bat with a, a leadoff guy or number two guy. Now I'm you know now I'm a seven inning pitcher, maybe six inning pitcher if it happens again. And uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something pretty conducive. I'm gonna throw a, you know a, a bowling ball in there and hopefully they'll hit it quick into the ground and get out of there. Now Pujols, somebody like Pujols, he always knew I was gonna give him one good pitch to hit in the bat, and if he fouled it off and missed it, I'm. I usually I'm going to get him. So th- those guys were difficult, Blummer. And but the, the the guy the guy I wanted to get to the big leagues that was uh, nerve wracking for me because I'd always been saying it. And then I next thing you know, my dream comes true. I'm in the big leagues and I'm facing Reggie Jackson. Oh, so wow. that's that's who I wanted to face. I wanted to face Reggie from watching him all those years in New York, and then he was a California Angel, and I wanted to face him before he shut it down and. Mm-hmm. About my third start at Fenway, I'm back there, and that Sherm Feller, that big voice up there on our PA announce, he's now batting number 44, Reggie Jackson. I'm, I found myself behind the mound, untying and tying my shoelace, out of nervousness. <laughs> oh Lord, you know I'm in the big leagues. <laughs> and then I look up and I make eye contact with him. He's got them glasses and that half shell helmet on, and I said, Oh, here we go. I think my arm came off. I was trying to throw it so hard. How did it end up? I punched him out the first three times, and was, nice. and was the second time I threw one about 98 right by him, and I didn't know what he was doing. He stepped out and looked at me, kind of pissed off, took his helmet off, put it on his arm, <laughs> reached in his back pocket, pulled a handkerchief out, whipped his glasses off his eyes, started shining his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I said, man, he might not be seeing my stuff. Uh, then he proceeded to hit a two-run homer in the bullpen in the seventh and knock me out of the game. We won 5-2. Uh, I think it was a two-run homer. So I punched him out three times. My oldest brother who dropped me off said, hey, be careful with that. I know you're going to face Reggie. Just be careful with this dude. He can still rise to certain occasions if the game's on the line. I was like, yeah, come on. <laughs> he launched that thing in sure? the bullpen. We talk about it now. and It's just it's fun. to. He always got on me. He goes, everybody else in the lineup, you're sitting at about 93 miles an hour, and I step in. My first two pitches are 97, 97. I said, well, you're Reggie Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to turn it up a notch for some of those guys, no doubt. Right. Hey, Reggie, come on. you got a candy bar um, named after you. <laughs> <laughs> I want I to ask you real quick about the, these are interesting times we're in, and you talked about getting your boys ready for their season. And what do you expect when we get hopefully get back into a season? I mean, when the, the – what is it, the Korean Baseball League, the ratings they're getting at midnight? You know. You yeah. know star- we're, st- we're starving for stuff right now, live TV. So, uh, uh, we're lucky. I mean, we're lucky here in Texas. we got some people that are, you know, rolling by the – I mean, I'm rolling into uh, Kroger and Walmart and HEB with my mask and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just you just got to mm-hmm. do it. I mean, this is this is the way it is right now. People recognize you with your mask on? It's awesome. They don't. <laughs> I went in the other day with my shades up on my ball cap, and I'm rolling in there looking for some coffee cups and some special cereal that Pop Poppy Rocket gets for the little guys and their milk. Yeah. And I'm, uh, and you know, I'm trying to go down aisles where nobody's at anyway. 
and uh, yeah. you know you're trying to always uh, you're always trying to abort you know an aisle or two, and then next thing you know I got <laughs> six or eight eyes on me, and and something they got somebody's got a beat on me, and next thing you know the the general manager's like, hey, what well, can I help you? Because it looks like you're bouncing. I'm just looking for your uh, you know paper coffee cups. He goes, oh, it's right over here, and he's like, hey, aren't you the you? I go, yeah. Two days later, I said, you know what? The, the, uh, they finally found me one of them blue masks that I can feel like I can breathe in. So I said, I'm going to roll with this, my hat down and my shades. I mean, I look like I could have robbed the place, but uh, <laughs> you mean, I rolled in there. Nobody, like. nobody had a beat on me uh, on, on that one. So, uh, you know what's funny, Rocket, is I, I wore one of those masks whenever they had, handed me my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> it was more of a bandana, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, hey, man, we appreciate it. We know uh, – more than anything, you need to go ice. But uh, thanks for your time, Rocket. Uh, Blummer and I, uh, we're really looking forward to this. And, uh, of course, you, you never yes. disappoint, but uh, we appreciate it. Let's do it, boys. Let's get yeah, maybe hit the, the white rock when we can. Absolutely. We'll get a game in or two. Sounds good. All right, boys. Peace out. Blummer, that's pretty good. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I had about 25 <laughs> topics written down on a, on a piece of paper, and I think I used about five, four or five of those, those topics. Man, he can talk. Uh, it's all really interesting, and uh, I could listen to that stuff, those stories for days, couldn't you? No, I absolutely could, too. You're remarkably older than I am, so you probably remember some of the players he played <laughs> against, but I know coming up in high school in the 80s, watching a young Roger Clemens go out there and do what he was doing, and now I get to talk to him and hear the stories behind the stories. That's what I find most entertaining, and I think anytime you get around guys who have been hyper-successful at the big league level, it's one thing to go out there and be good on the mound, but I love hearing you know, what happened before, what happened after, what are the, some of the underlying stories that you wouldn't necessarily get inside you know, a newspaper article or a TV interview, and that's probably what's most fun about talking to Roger. One of the things I wanted to talk to him about, some of the cameos he's done in some of the on TV and movies and things like that. He was in Kingpin. His name in Kingpin was Skidmark. You remember that role? Uh, he was in Arliss. Uh, he was in quite a few different things, but uh, he was just on a different level. I mean, you and I were, were, were ball players, but we weren't celebrities. I mean, he, he was like a rock star in a baseball uniform, wasn't he? Yeah, there's varying levels of famousness, yeah. and you and I are on the lower end of it, but, uh, <laughs> you know... It's it's incredible because, you know, you say Roger Clemens or you say some of these superstars and everybody, their first instinct is to say, oh, he's larger than life. And then you actually meet a guy like Roger Clemens or Nolan Ryan, and they're just these behemoths of human beings. Their shoulders are so much wider than everybody else. Yeah. They're taller. They're stronger. They're, you know, everything about them, their bravado is that much bigger than everybody else. So I, I agree with you in the sense that he did have that kind of, you know, he pitched well enough to be a star on the field, but he pitched well enough to be, you know, that global star or that guy who could sneak into a right. movie or TV show and you'd be like, hey, that's Roger Clemens. Yeah, seven Cy Youngs. Unbelievable. Coming back. That is unbelievable, hometown. man. Drayton McLean talking him out of retirement. It was so big here in Houston. But uh, how are you feeling right now? Are you getting a little antsy? We're starting to get some, some nice little rumors uh, percolating about baseball. Starting back up, you getting excited? 
I am, and the world is going to be better, and baseball fans' lives are going to be better. And for you and I, you know, selfishly, I think that we would be better people if we were out there talking about baseball and watching these guys play. So I agree with you that things are moving in the right direction, and I'm just trying to hold out hope that there is hope that we can get back on the field. But the trend is definitely pointing in the right direction. Yeah, it's it's looking better and better. Well, Blummer, as, as always, uh, I love working with you, so uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, it's probably going to be something that we're going to remember for a long time getting Clemens on here and having a, a nice hour-long conversation so thanks for doing that with us yeah, I would give anything to be on a bus right now with you guys I miss you guys yeah miss you too better boys all right that's it for another episode of Astropod I'm Steve Sparks and uh, we'll be back real soon and uh, hope to see you soon stay safe see you later. Houston we know these are uncertain and unprecedented times but we will get through this we We'll get through this together. Together. It is important that we all take the necessary steps to ensure safety of our loved ones and our community. You're the best fans in baseball. The best. And we love you. We love you. Baseball will be back. And we cannot wait to see you. Stay safe, Houston. For the H. It's for the H.